Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Collateral Damage Podcast. Uh, today is a another special guest, <laughs> uh, and this is Amy Dresner, author of My Fair Junkie, a memoir of getting dirty and staying clean. And I got to say, I'm sure this book is very dirty, um, and it is a dirty story about how she got clean, based on what I've heard. Uh, so <laughs> now you've, you've spoken with uh, Amy in the past. Oh yeah, I know Amy. She yeah. holds nothing back, and that's what I mean. Whether you whether you like it or not, she holds nothing back, and I love that about her. Well, I'm reading one of the reviews here. It says uh, Dresner's book is a sickening masterpiece, hilarious and raw. She cuts to the bony truth. I love her. That's uh, Margaret Cho, one of the comedians that she's uh, associated with. She's uh, well, that's half the thing. Is she's so funny. Yeah. I remember when I was reading the book, I I I reached out to her and I said, Amy, I said it's like a car accident. Like I can't stop looking at it. Yeah. I feel bad and I'm laughing and I know I shouldn't be laughing at because this is terrible, but I can't help myself. So oh. it's that, it's that kind of book. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very, you know, she had a very, very difficult time, mm -hmm. but she manages to make, she manages to make you laugh while you're reading it too. So, well, there's nothing wrong. And I, I think that's, that's a misconception. There's nothing wrong with talking about this and, and laughing about a, a, an experience that we survived. I mean, we, we do this all the time. Like who doesn't tell, who doesn't tell stories about the time when they were a kid and they drank too much and threw up everywhere and, you know, fell out of a window, but they survived and everything was fine. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's, maybe our stories as people in recovery are a little worse than, yeah. than the next one. You know what I mean? We could have died more times than normal, but you know, I still think that, you know, once we get well and we can share our stories, as long as they also provide strength and hope. Right. They don't have to all be terrifying and terrible and sad. They, we can laugh. Right. And I think that's, I, I, you know, and you can tell in her book that she's not just doing it for the effect, you know, telling you this, she's, she has a point and the point is that is she's trying to, to convey to other people that you can get through this, that mm. she got through it. And she was not one of the, she was not a person that anybody, I don't think, especially her thought that they could get through it in the, at, at first. And she's been through so much and is coming out the other side and, and is doing really well now. And I, uh, you know, so there's a point to all the, to the storytelling. It right. isn't just to, to shock people. Or, there's or a reason, there's a reason for the overshare. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think she might be the queen of the overshare, mm -hmm. but it, it's definitely, definitely there's a good reason for it. And it's, yeah. um, and she's, she's, it's really a very good book. I, I liked it very much. Enjoyed it very much. Well, I look forward to hearing her tell us all about it. Me too. All right. Well, here's Amy Dresner, author of My Fair Junkie. All right, Amy. Well, thank you for joining us. Really happy to have you on today. Um, and uh, I know Maureen has told me quite a bit about your, your story and your book. And uh, I'm, I'm really curious because I have not read it yet. Um, I know there's a lot you have of not, terrible. You have not read her book? What? Right here. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm interested to hear, just like our listeners are, a little taste of what's in there and your story and what got you to where you are today and okay. some of the stuff that they might read once they get into that book. So Sure. Again, thank you for joining us. And, of course, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, Amy, we, we, before we start, we just had a great, um, a, a couple of days ago, we had a good uh, conversation with this guy named Justin Cambria, and he talked about recovering out loud. Mm. And you definitely popped into my head right. when he said that, because you're kind of all out there. There's yeah. no, and I, and I appreciate that so much, because I think that's the only way that we're ever going to turn any of this around. I agree with you. Yeah, so I'm just very, very grateful that you're here and that you, you just tell it like it is and you're out there and no shame, no stigma. Mm -hmm. It's 
it's awesome. It's I awesome. think that's, you know, the key to <clears throat> this thing. I think so you know? too. And the more I learn about shame, you know, in terms of science from Dr. Wetzman, that it actually lowers your dopamine when you feel less than. Mm. And then of course, if you have an addict's brain, if you've got low dopamine, your brain is going to go, oh my God, we need dopamine. And then like search for dopamine. And then you're going to want to get loaded. And then you've got the, you know, then you crash. And then it's a cycle of craving. It's terrible, you know? So I think it's really important that we don't shame other people when they relapse and we don't shame ourselves. Because for me, feeling ashamed never changed my behavior. It just made me want to use and act out more. Right. To block out that feeling, you know? Yeah. So I think that it's all about, and I just, I just think also it's just like all this weird, I mean, I, I, you know, I said it on a podcast, people made it into a meme, which is so bizarre, but I said, you know, we can't break the stigma of addiction until we break the stigma of recovery. And I really truly believe that there, I mean, being in recovery is the hardest and most important thing I've ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm incredibly proud about it, you know? And I think that to, you know, for people to be weird about what group they're in and anonymity, I'm like, fuck all that. I just mm -hmm. don't believe in it. I think that, you know, more people come out and say that they're sober and they're in recovery, the more people will think it's cool. The more people will become acceptable. You know what I mean? We've got to be like gay yep. pride, man. We got to get, we got to get flags and boas mm -hmm. and glitter and like have a, have a parade and have, you know, oh, Mike, I mean? Mike needs a boa desperately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I, I recovered out loud is like my favorite thing. I mean, I, I, I talk about it all the time. I live this life. I mean, just like you, yeah. I'm a person yeah. in recovery and I do it out loud and it's my whole world. Yeah. And, and I, I understand that there are people that like, they're doctors or they're, you know, there are people that obviously they don't have the, the great, the ability to do what we do. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I, I wrote a memoir. Mm -hmm. I write for an addiction magazine. There's no, I'm not, there's not a job where they're going to be like, mm, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? You yeah. Know? Like it, does, it doesn't hurt your ability to make a living. So you can, no. and we're no. fortunate that we can do that. And, and yeah, like absolutely. I said, I mean, your, your book is a, it's a, it's a, it's a perfect example of telling it like it is and helping people understand that it's okay to talk about what we went through and get well. In a really gnarly way. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I was really, so basically, uh, so my fair junkie is a story of my journey. It's 20 years of relapsing. Uh, it's four psych wards. It's three suicide mm. attempts. It's six rehabs. It's, you know, years of sobriety and then relapsing again wow. and not even thinking it would be different, just not caring, which yeah. is so frightening. Just not having the tools to handle my feelings or live in the world or any of that. Mm -hmm. um, it opens. So, I mean, I've had so many bottoms. I don't even know where to begin. You know, I was like, what's your bottom? I'm like, which one? Yeah. Um, <laughs> At you know, which my point? It's like, it's like a trap door. It's like a haunted house. And then another mm -hmm. trap door opens and it's like, you fall down again. Another trap door opens. You're like, ah. Um, so I have, uh, I had six years in January and. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And the book opens with me high on Oxycontin, pulling a knife on my now ex-husband mm. and going and getting arrested for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon. Wow. I'm like a nice Jewish girl from Beverly Hills. Like that's just so not where I ever thought I'd be, you know? Yeah. Um, so I go to jail. I lose everything. He leaves me penniless in a psych ward and I'm, uh, I have 240 hours of community labor, like me and 40 Mexican guys sweeping the streets on a chain gang. 
in Hollywood. You know, they were like, what you in for Weta, huh? Come for DUI. And I was like, oh, me? Oh, um, I, I'm here for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon. They were like, oh shit, you know? <laughs> it was like, it was the perfect turnaround because when I first showed up there, I was like, oh God, criminals. Like, I can't believe this. And it turned out, of course, I had more time than anybody else. Yeah. I was one of the few people there for assault. You know what I mean? It was just a huge flip and it was so humbling. It was exactly what I needed. Yeah. Um, I was, so I had to rebuild my life in my forties. I was living in sober living for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. I relapsed in a bunch of rehabs and a bunch of sober livings. And, uh, in this sobriety early on, I developed a sex addiction, mm -hmm. which was like completely not anything that it was, I ever thought would happen. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I was never like ultra promiscuous. It was never my bag. But, you know, what I've come to believe, I had an eating disorder before I ever found alcohol and drugs. To me, it's all the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's all escape. Mm -hmm. It's all, how do I get my dopamine up and how do I check the fuck out? Right. And now my feelings or get happy. You know, and I have this line in the book. It's like, doesn't matter. I figured out the formula. It doesn't matter if it's a Xanax or a donut or a dick. Like, fucking it works. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It was like. So I know. So I, I'm really classy, as you can see. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so, just don't like it is. I love it. So, and the book is actually really funny because I used to be a comic. So I just, there's so used to be. How does that work? How do you used to be a comic? I was a stand-up comic for five years. Oh, okay. Like an actual thing. She just sat down. She's still a comic. Okay. It never kind of leaves you. Sort of certain parts of it just you can't kill. But once, you know, I got arrested and relapsed and was going through a divorce and a criminal trial and having a nervous breakdown, I wasn't like, I gotta do a ten, a tight ten minutes at the comedy store. Like I was kind of like worried about like not going to prison and yeah. like you know getting my life together. I just never been back. Mm -hmm. So wow. that was I don't know seven or eight years ago. I don't really miss it. And so, but for me, my father was a, a comedy writer also, and so I always grew up with with humor being a lens to look through through mm -hmm. things. It's it can be defensive to a point if you can't take it off and really be open. But I think also it's so important to laugh at the things we've been through because otherwise the shame yeah. is just like devastating. You're just like, you know what I mean? That's what I love about the rooms. It's just like, you know, being, you know, other people, you know, you're like, Oh my God, I stayed for 17 days writing a new Bible on crystal meth. And they're like, Oh my God. You know? <laughs> I read that. <laughs> my glasses, you know, like whatever. It's like, um, so, and there's also a lot of really heavy, dark stuff. Like I said, suicide attempts and like me shooting up in my neck and stuff like mm. that. Coke, I smoked meth. I have epilepsy from crystal meth now. I've had it for 15 oh, wow. years. Yeah, I did some Jeez. real damage. Yeah. But I have all my teeth, and that's really what matters when you live in LA. Is how you <laughs> the teeth are real. If you're an idiot and you have to wear a helmet, it's fine. Um, as long so. as when you smile, they're all yours. Yeah. <laughs> I had a dream that one of my teeth fell out. Isn't that like a thing, like your, your dream about like aging or something? Like, I don't like, know what it means. Yeah. I don't yeah know what it Sounds like a significant one, though, if you're teeth. It wasn't. It was scary. Yeah. I was like, ha! Ah! Okay. <laughs> um, so I wrote the book to help other people. And what's been the I response think, to your book? Um, well, I don't read. I don't seek out the uh, comments or okay. reviews because I'm just too sensitive. Mm -hmm. um, my dad will snapshot one. Look, another one. You know, terrific. You know. Um, most of the things I've seen are the people who have reached out to me personally mm -hmm. to just be like, oh, my, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for keeping it fucking real. Thank you yeah. for yeah. talking as a woman about domestic violence, the per being a perpetrator of it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Thank you for talking about sex addiction. Talk, thank you for talking about IV drug use. 
Thank you for making me laugh about shit I was ashamed of. Thank you mm. for talking about the psych ward. Thank you for making me feel less broken and less alone. And I just cry. I mean, I never expected that I could take 20 years of you know, self-destruction and turn it into something that was like a tool for other people. So you know, I'm sure there are people who don't like the book and think, you know, I swear too much in it or I'm spoiled or I'm an mm. asshole. That's been one of the things. People are like, she's an asshole in the book. It's like, um, I was <laughs> Ellen on drugs. Like if you're an angel when you're, you know, like if you're trying to look good in an addiction memoir, you're not being honest enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it'd be pretty, it would be a pretty weird book if you were talking about how awesome you were while you were doing drugs. Yeah. And, you know, just how kind and courteous you were. And Yeah, I would have never gotten sober if I, right. you know, I was a nightmare. I was a monster. I would drink and I was like naked and violent immediately, like karate chopping, real estate. Things. <laughs> naked like, and violent. I love it. Like, you know, shooting Coke and having seizures and going, oh, wow, I, sh you know, I, ha I shouldn't shoot Coke with epilepsy. I got it. I'll wear a bike helmet so I don't crack my head open. Like, you know, mm. that kind of, I mean, just gnarly. Mm. And some of the sex addiction stuff was really hard to write about. I mean, that's yeah. really, you know, there's, that's quite stigmatized still for women. You know, if you're a dude, you're kind of like a stud. But if you're a girl, you're, you know, you're slutty. And mm. it was never about sex. It was about validation mm -hmm. and it was about seeking love and it was about seeking escape. Mm -hmm. really? And I don't think, you know, like just like getting high is never really about the drugs. It's always right. everything. You know what I mean? Gambling is mm -hmm. not really about money. Mm -hmm. It's all about the dopamine rush. Yeah. Well, it was, I know it was all about me. Everything I did was all about me and making me yeah. feel better one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Very selfish. <laughs> yeah. Me too. So that's yeah. been cool too, to have that switch where it's like really being of service in like a massive way. Mm -hmm. which I didn't expect. I didn't expect the, 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 the response I've gotten from the book. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, when you tell a story that so many can identify with, I mean, it's like, you know, uh, Maureen, you've heard from parents like that you're telling their story, you know, and yeah. I imagine that you're hearing the same thing. Like you're telling yeah. a, a raw version of an experience that yeah. so many people can identify with that. I'll be honest with you. I mean, in our country now, we're kind of dumbing down the conversation just to be, to be politically correct, to not stigmatize. Oh, I can't. Don't even get me started. Oh, substance use disorder? Like, I'm sorry. I don't know one fucking junkie that's like, hi, I'm Steve. I have substance use disorder. Not fucking one. And They're I, out there. I, just don't They're out there. I don't, you don't get the, you don't get the right to tell me how to tell my story. Mm -hmm. And if well, I want to call myself a junkie and that makes me feel empowered and less ashamed because I'm mm -hmm. owning it, that's my business. But again, I don't think, putting lipstick on a pig and changing the lingo is mm -hmm. going to change the stigma. It's like AIDS had a very, very scientific sounding name mm -hmm. and people were still totally freaked out by it until when, until AIDS awareness, AIDS ride, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And until also it wasn't a death sentence anymore. And I believe right. this is about addiction, yeah, you know, big. and I talked yeah. to Dr. Wetzman and I'd written this in a fixed piece where he's just like, you know, substance use disorder as a term is, great for insurance companies, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, but he goes, it's really PC bullshit because, you know, if you say to someone, you know, well, don't be mad, you know, you know, Phil has substance use disorder. It's like, I don't care. He fucked my sister, owes me $300. <laughs> 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 it's behavior. It doesn't make it sound any better. Yeah. yeah, no. yeah. Well, you know what? I've, I've actually talked about this repeatedly and what I've come to, you know, cause I'm in recovery. And so I don't actually, my, I like the word addict. You know what I mean? I look at it yeah, me like, too. like our N word, 
You know what I yes. mean? Like I think yes, that cool. if totally. somebody else uses it, you don't get to say that. You know, yeah, what I mean? but I do. And and if yes. I'm with you and you you and I, Amy, we're talking. Yes. I'm an addict. I'm a junkie. Yes. And and yes. no, those aren't derogatory terms. I'm not talking poorly about myself. I'm talking right. about a way that we identify. Right. Absolutely. So, but as as our N word, no. If you don't get to say that to me, right. <laughs> you don't get well, to. Call I'm me glad. That. I'm glad yeah. to hear you say that because Mike and I have this conversation all the time. Right. Because I'm very sensitive about that, but. I, and if my daughter calls herself an addict or calls herself a junkie, it hurts my heart a little bit, but it's her mm. choice to call herself that, right? That's interesting. But if anybody else called her that, I will beat them to death, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if we're in a, in a hospital situation or a medical situation, I think the words, I think substance use disorder is appropriate there because if you're going in and you're saying you're a junkie, you're an addict in a hospital no, emergency room. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh God, mm. absolutely. So, I mean, I worry that that's going to get you a seat in the hallway for three days. You know what right. I mean? So I, I'm always like careful about stuff like it's, that. It's but you have to, I, I don't tell anybody what to say, right. or what, they, what they can call themselves between right. themselves. You know what I mean? Uh, well, no, that's not entirely true. I do tell my daughter not to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Because it hurts my heart. It's Good. like, it's just, to me, it's that, it's that negativity, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I think she's my hero, you know? I think well, she's but, the most incredible end, person. Negative. Your end, it's negative. Our end, it's a, a positive achievement. I'm, right. I'm proud I get of the that. fact that I overcame this thing. Like, right. maybe it hurts my mom's heart too, but like, yeah. when I say addict, what I say is different than when you say it. And I mean right. something different than when you say it. Like, yes. to me, an addict is a champion that survived this yeah. life-threatening situation, and I'm here. I'm an addict. Yeah. I'm proud of that. Uh, yeah. and, and it does on, on the receiving end. Like if I start saying I'm Michael and I struggled with a substance use disorder, I didn't. I struggled with a raging addiction that made me a tornado of disaster and chaos. Like that's <laughs> Those aren't the same thing. We're, we're, yeah. actually, we're not talking about the same illness. And also, um, you know, for me, like I said, my, you know, my addiction bled out into all types of behaviors. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it, to process addictions like mm -hmm. sex addiction or eating disorders. It wasn't just drugs right. and alcohol. Like yeah. I would do anything to feel differently. Like now I nap a lot. That's my fucking, that's my addiction is napping. <laughs> like when I feel overwhelmed or freaked out, I'm just like, nap time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unplugging, you know. That's, that's like, not such a bad thing. No, I know. Yeah. You know. Everyone's like, that's why you look young. I'm like, okay, well, you know, but it's like, um, yeah, for me, I think that at one time, you know, it's so hard because addiction, I think it's, there's a huge spectrum. I think some people are way over here with like mm -hmm. a light addiction, you know, and, and just have a problem with like, I know heroin addicts who could drink. Mm -hmm. Power to you. You know what I mean? I can't touch anything. Mm -hmm. um, well, maybe on, maybe on one end it is substance use disorder, but that right. thing that you were talking about. There are other people not. who are like, I'm like anything that makes me feel different. Like I had so much coffee. I almost threw up like a couple weeks ago. I'm like, woo. <laughs> great it's six years like really like yeah, I had friends, friends say to me they're like amy please don't drink coffee around me. <laughs> i was like oh my god i used to shoot cocaine and now i can't even drink coffee around my friends like what's happening but so um i think that a lot of people it's totally based in trauma like gabor mate says I think some of us have a huge, I know for myself, I have a huge biological component. It runs mm. in my family. Yeah. And I felt instantly that click mm. when I picked up the drug that my mother and my <clears throat> mother used without yeah. knowing. Yeah. 
that's my hope. My was um, I had the only grandmother I knew in the methadone clinic. So this is definitely, you know, if there's a family component. To yeah. This. So I think once, you know, eventually, like with mental illness and stuff like that, we're going to know, we're going to see it, sci the science-wise, and the stigma is going to go away. We're going to see it like diabetes. We're going to see it like heart disease, you I know? Hope so. And I think that there is, of course, an added component of, you know, trauma or, you know, whatever. But it's like, you know, I didn't like myself. That was also true. Mm -hmm. Always uncomfortable really uncomfortable in my skin. Not all of that's even changed. I don't know that that ever totally goes away. You know, I've just li I just have tools now to deal yeah. with that. Yeah. Well, you learn how to do it. I mean, you, oh. if it's like, um, you know, you learn how to develop an appropriate uh, response to what life is throwing at you. There's, um, you guys ever watched that, uh, the, the video, and I can't remember the rabbi's name. He, um, he, he does a lot of videos and he did one about how lobsters grow. Yes. Do you know his name? I saw it. <laughs> Great well, video. I'm a Jew, I'm going to know his name. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I know exactly what we're talking you about. Do. Yeah, gets, all right. Yeah, they and, grow and it gets tight and the shell yes, gets tight yes. and they're uncomfortable. And then yes. it's, yeah. And so the, the idea is that, you know, the, the stress and pressure of this yeah. squishy lobster growing inside of a hard shell is the catalyst for change. Yeah. And the lobster then goes and swims under a rock, casts off the shell, and is in the safe, protected place while it creates a new shell. And in his story, he says, if lobsters had doctors, they'd all be this big. They'd never grow because they'd just get medication to deal with the stress oh, of being in that, that tiny shell. And so like, you know, the idea of, you know, to your point, Amy, I mean, I, I, I don't know how to deal with everything that comes at me, but I'm capable of learning now. You know, I'm capable of adapting and, and, and changing my shell size based on what's happening. Well, yeah, I and couldn't I do before. People that I call, I don't know mm -hmm. how to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. You know what right. I mean? Like I can make a, a bong out of a crack bong out of a Mountain Dew bottle and mm -hmm. with gum and a straw. Mm -hmm. That's like my life skills, like in terms of, you know, doing taxes or, you know, rotating your tires, not really on top of that, you right. know? Right. Learn skills. Come on, that's funny. <laughs> like, Michael, you, Michael's like, you've used that before. No, that was the moment, you know, when I lost everything and I was on the chain gang, for me, a big part of my getting uh, recovering was growing up. Mm -hmm. No one's going to fix it for me. There's no outside fix to this. No dude, no money, no job, no nothing on the outside is going to fix this. Mm -hmm. And it's, and, and, and who cares what created it? Trauma from childhood or biology, it's my responsibility to fix it. Right. And I had this, you know, moment when I was sweeping trash, you know, and I was like, feeling really sorry for myself. You know, I was like, he shouldn't have called the cops and fuck him and, you know, mm. blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I used to have a trust fund and what the fuck am I doing here? And I'm so smart, you know, all this bullshit. So it was a nice angry sweep. Yeah, I was yeah. like, <laughs> and I went, wait a second. This could be the best thing that ever happened to me or it could be the worst thing that ever happened to me. And it's my decision. Like mm -hmm. here we are at a crossroads, Amy. That's you, my favorite like, part of the book when you come yeah, to that. This is this is like, that was a huge epiphany where I just decided, I was like, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened. And I had no idea I was going to write a book or anything, but I just thought, you know, girl, you need to finish 240 hours so you don't go to prison. Mm -hmm. You need to, you know, this is all happening and it's not a coincidence. This is where you've ended up as a result of your character and your choices and your behaviors. And so mm -hmm. maybe if you take you know, ownership, you won't feel like the victim. Is there stuff to learn here? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, man, okay, I can learn how to sweep, which I can sweep really, really well. I, <laughs> so good at sweeping now. Um, so yep. man, I'm available for marriage. Um, yep. And I sweep. And yep. uh, I can't cook though. 
Um, but also, you know, I learned teamwork and I learned compassion and I learned, you know, work ethic and I learned to finish what I started and I learned, you know, so much humility. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, I mean, manual labor is like a whole other bag than anything mm -hmm. else. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was the best thing. And, you know, it's my, my, in my book, when you open it, it says with Will Rogers, it says the worst thing that happens to you can be the best thing for you if you mm -hmm. don't let it get the best of you. I and like I'm like, that. oh, got it. I like it. that a lot, yeah. And that shit transformed me. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, that's what recovery, recovery is about growing as a person, like putting oh. down whatever you, like, I, I always use the analogy, like, so as, as an addict, I was punching myself in the face every day and then getting confused why I had like black eyes, my hands hurt. And, uh, you know, when I stopped, the first thing I did was stop punching myself in the face. That was me not using right. drugs anymore. And then once my face healed and my hands stopped hurting, now it was like, okay, now I have to live life as someone yeah. who doesn't punch themselves in the face yeah. every day. And that's like the, that's the recovery part, you know, yeah. like getting sober is, I don't want to say it's easy, yeah, yeah, hard, but like, yeah. you know, the, the recovery part of how learning how to be an adult, learning how to deal with adult situations, learning yeah. how to take a lesson out of an ad, uh, an adverse, uh, an adverse situation like that and, and learn the lesson or develop the skill is that's huge. Yeah. And also still, you know, I have big, big feelings. We all do. I think we're very sensitive people. And, you know, I got my heart broken two years ago. And the first thing that came into my head was I got to use, you know what I mean? The pain was so great. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't, I, I can't deal. I got to kill myself. Like I was like, I got to escape. Like that's my mm -hmm. first go-to because that's my default. It's been my default for years and years and years. So my brain's like escape, escape, like death or drugs, do it. Mm -hmm. And then I got, I got through it and I didn't use. And it's like, yep. now my mom has dementia and I have to take care. You know, I'm in charge of everything. Mm. And it's like, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's sad. It's, you know, but that's, this is life. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't like, you don't like being comfortable, like too bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like well, life is supposed to come with a little bit of pain, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Supposed to. <laughs> that was not my understanding. I like initially. to avoid it as much as possible, but you know. Yeah. Well, but my whole, my whole pursuit was my, I was in pursuit of a life where I didn't feel any pain at all. Right. Oh, so you were, were you an opiate addict? Oh yeah. Yeah. I loved everything. Okay. Opioids, All crack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so like my, my whole world was about not feeling pain. So even if I felt any discomfort whatsoever, I was like, Oh my God, that's pain. I can't do that. Got to get away. So like the default setting. And then when I got well, it was like, Oh, so life actually is supposed to come with a little bit of pain find my threshold and just be okay with that. You know, that yeah. was, that was a tough thing to accept. It's really, it's hard. Still life is coming at me and I'm like, uh, you know what Has I mean? Hasn't stopped I, yet? No. And, <laughs> hasn't let up. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I knew it. Like when you said I didn't want to feel any pain, I was like opiate addict. Mm -hmm. Like I was more into crystal meth and cocaine. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that mean, you know, so for me it was about how do I rise above my depression? Mm-hmm. How do I have energy? How do I have, you know, I want to feel confident and energized. And, you know, and of course I did, never did anything useful when I was doing it. It was like, oh, good collaging for eight hours, you know, or whatever, like plucking your eyebrows all night. You know what I mean? I'm going to take this like, motor, I'm going to take this engine apart and then put it back together again. Yeah. Oh, I could never put it back together again, ever. <laughs> I would take electric apart electrical, but never could put it back together again, right, ever. Let's see how this computer works. Let me see what's going on in here. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I did a lot of, uh, I, I didn't do the meth as much. I did uh, crack. Crack was my thing. I smoked a lot of crack and it was, uh, you know, I, I would do it. I would just get weird alone in my room or, you know. Yeah, I mean, people. yeah, that was a thing. People are like, 
Well, also crack is not really a, like a, you can't show up at like a dinner party. You know what I mean? With a nice bottle of wine and some rock. <laughs> some cooked Coke. Do you guys mind if I cook this up real quick? <laughs> I didn't same cook it before with, I yeah. came. Same thing with like, well, you know, same thing with, you know, shooting Coke. Mm. I mean, it was very, for me, my using was very much about self-medication. I can't, you can't show up and be like, I am here. I brought the hors d'oeuvres. Here's syringes. Can, do you want to yeah. put <laughs> alcohol? Shoot. You know, there's nothing. Shooting coke is not a social activity at all. No, but um, it, it, my, my using was never social. My using was always me in my house alone, listening to weird music, mm-hmm. being, you know, getting high, smoking cigarettes, and like calling people. Mm. Oh, right? The deadly. Sounds the awful. <laughs> in hindsight, looking back, it just sounds terrible. Oh, it's it hard. Not sound it, like, it sounds like a prison sentence. No, the best was though, I was, on a, I was in a blackout on Ativan for like two weeks. And I guess I was in meetings kicking over chairs and stuff. And I was like, I'm a princess, motherfuckers. Mm. I don't remember any of it. But I, <laughs> I kept calling my dad. And I was like, every day I'd call him and be like, I just want to die. I just want to die. I just want to die. And I was high on Ativan that they'd given me for my seizures. But I was over taking way too much, of course. Mm. And my dad goes, you need to go somewhere and cool out. Ames. And mm. I said, you mean like a spa? <laughs> like yeah kind of yeah and um i was so high i checked myself into the psych ward thinking it was a spa <laughs> wow. so that was great so the next day i wake up i was like hey i you know i thought this was a spa that's why i'm yeah. wearing my bathing suit they were like uh-huh yeah yeah <laughs> little divine intervention there led you to the right place without you even thinking about it that's great Oh my God. You know, something that I, I love your book so much because Aww. you, because you're so real in the book and because you transform in the book too. So it's not just this like gritty story, which it is of, of, of what, a, what can, what your life can become with drugs and uh, with addiction, oh. but it's also this whole story of how you transform. And when you get it at that point that you can make this good or bad, mm-hmm. it was like, it was a point where I was like, yeah, she's going to be okay. Because that's, you know, and that whole idea of, of life is going to be shitty sometimes yeah. and you just got to, you got to find a way to get through it. And you did that, you know, and, and when you finished and you were like, I completed something and it was, oh, so and I was like, this is, this is a good story. And this is what separates it, I think, from a lot of the other, the other memoirs by uh, people that are, you know, struggling or that are, are um, addicted to something. It's, it's, um, it's them. That's what made it different. That and the fact that you can read the story, which is, just like I think I told you when I first met you, it was like almost like a car accident. I couldn't look away. <laughs> it was so horrific, but I kept laughing, and I was like, "Oh my god, how am I laughing at this? This is horrible!" <laughs> but you have to be able to laugh, and oh, yeah. you have to have some sense of humor about just life in general, right? But when you go into something like this, my you know, my daughter and I laughed all the time, even no matter how bad things got and things were bad, we found a way to laugh. And it was, it was what kept me relatively sane. And, um, I I, I thought it was that funny when we were going through it, you know what I mean? And he hasn't read the book fully. He's read the parts about him. He won't read the sex stuff. He won't read the drug stuff. It's too triggering for me. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand that. But, um, you know, I, uh, yeah, it was difficult because I had relapsed so many times for so long to create a book that had a narrative arc when addiction is, you know, so repetitive. That's yes. the nature of addiction. 
So how do you create a narrative arc of a book when you've got basically Groundhog's Day for 20 mm-hmm. years? Right. So that's why I, you know, I set it up on the chain gang with flashbacks and then we, you know, I finished and moved forward with my life, you know, but um, I I just, I I felt like it had to be funny because otherwise people were just going to be like, oh my God, like, you know, Googling noose knots, like I got, you know, there's there's people that told me they're like, I had to put it down. It was too much. And there are other people that (coughs) said what you said, which they were like, this is so horrible and I'm laughing and I feel bad that I'm laughing. And it was like, no, I, you have to laugh. Mm -hmm. Humor is a way to reframe. It's a way to get distance and a way to get through things. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's not, addiction's not serious. Like it definitely, it's like, it's a miracle I'm alive. Mm. I'm not saying that. You know what I'm saying? But I'm saying humor for me is the antidote to shame, which is fucking deadly. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. And that's why I wrote the book and talked about all kinds of really horrific shit in the most honest, raw way I could, because I knew someone would go, oh my God, me too. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I mean, exactly. I a book came out, but that's fine. Don't worry about it. I'd save lives. Who cares if I die an old cat lady? It's fine. <laughs> an old cat lady. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, I know I completely agree. And I think that that's what, you know, that's the thing is when people can relate and, and somehow you've, you've just, I don't know, it's that, that me too thing that just makes you feel like you're not alone. Finally, somebody yes. gets it. You know? yes. and those, when, I mean, those messages kill me. I just cry. I mean, they're so heartbreaking, you know, where they'll be like, I mean, people have come into treatment with my book, like highlighted and like, like dog eared, like, yep. you know, just, and I just, I'm just like, wow. Like I had no idea. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, right. It, 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 it I was just like, changed something. Something you said just changed things for them. And that's what happens. And, that's, and how I awesome is that? I'm so grateful. To right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I hate to be all creepy, but like to have been like a vessel for that. You know what I yep. mean? I really just sat down to write the most honest book I could. I was like, fuck looking good. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And even the editors were going through it. And there was a couple of times they were like, ooh, a little harsh. Do we want to cut this? And I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. You know, let's so, lay it, lay it so all. brave. That's so yeah. brave of you. It really yeah. is because not a lot of people would be willing to put themselves out there like that. That's mm-hmm. the only way you're going to help people though. I agree. You can decode it. Fuck. You right. Know? Yeah. I you agree. Can't, you can't. The other, the other version doesn't help anybody. No, no, it's true. I mean, what helps is like hearing <laughs> someone say the stuff that you can't admit to yourself or that you feel ashamed about. And, you know, I mean, it's just been, it's been, it's been my greatest achievement, not money-wise or anything like that, but the fact that I used to tell people, because like you, I was, it was all about me. Mm-hmm. I was the most selfish, entitled brat ever, and I just didn't give a shit about anybody else. And now my whole orientation is, how do I help people? Right. How can I go and speak and change someone's life? Mm-hmm. How, can I, how can the book help someone, give them hope that it's not too late, that they can still get sober? You know what I, I think, mean? And that, that's what recovery is all about. Recovery is about getting yeah. well and then being of use. Like I was useless. Totally. I had absolutely no use. I breathed. <laughs> yeah, and having a purpose. You know what yeah, I mean? I, I think that's a big thing too. Like I had no purpose. So I just didn't give a shit. I didn't know mm-hmm. what I was doing. I was just floating around, like you said, just trying to, you know, feel pleasure and avoid pain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I didn't, I, I didn't really build a life for myself. Yeah. No, well, you tried. Turn that around, haven't you? Yeah, you have. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, you well, really have. Amazing. I know. My dad's super, he's so proud of me. He's 82 and he's just like, I don't know. He's, he's just blown away by the whole thing. Has the, has the book brought you into any um, 
any element of the recovery field that you're you're interested in? I mean, is it have, um, speaking? Yeah, I've been tapped to be to do some public speaking. It's just okay. not public speaking, but speaking at events and stuff like that. So that's been cool. Um, and it's been optioned for TV development, which is amazing. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. So that's, I mean, is that's, that one of the benefits of living in California is that you, you know, the, the book could be a movie. <laughs> but I mean, that would be an opportunity to bring an authentic story of recovery to millions of people. Right. How cool would that be? Not intervention, not some salacious bullshit. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, but the real story. And yeah. that to me is what it's about. Like it mm-hmm. has to be authentic. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that show, I mean, you, you brought up that show. Like when I watched that show and they, the first, what, 20 minutes or so where they're talking about who they were and then they show them getting high and stuff. Oof. It's not the, it's not the story, you know, that's not the story of that person, even though that's what they're putting on TV. It's, it's different. There's more to it. There's so much more to it. Well, they also uh, always like have a trauma, like a, some kind of trauma that they blame it on too mm-hmm. early on. And I, I mean, I know a lot of people who had no trauma who became drug addicts and alcoholics who had great childhoods and weren't Mm -hmm. molested or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I had to stop watching intervention because it was too triggering to see people shoot up. Mm -hmm. I was starting to have really, really gnarly nightmares about it. And my sponsor was just like, hi, stop watching. (laughs) And I was like, but I love it. You know, it hurts when I touch this, stop touching it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, stop watching it. Sponsor fucking direction. Don't watch it anymore. (laughs) <laughs> I had I had to watch that show when I was in Middleton, right? I was in Middleton and doing I was on like the 80 bed, the drug unit at Middleton County Jail. Oh, and as a part of the drug unit, they would literally pop us out ah, in the morning. Are you kidding they, me? <laughs> they would put us out on these chairs and we would just watch intervention all day. What? And then at the end of the day, we would like talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, so what'd you think? And I was like, I think I want to fucking get high. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I just watched eight hours of intervention. What, what, do, you think, what do you think I want to do? Yeah. yeah, it's totally piece of people fucking smoking. Fucking- oh. <laughs> you kidding me? I had some of the most lucid drug dreams of my entire life sitting totally. in the 80 bed after watching Intervention all day. Yeah, I mean, the part where they change physically, like three months later and they show and the person's, you know, like puts on like 30 pounds and yeah. like looks different. I usually cry because the transformation physical and they're like, I'm so happy. And it's like, that always was really incredibly moving. Mm-hmm. But you know, I just felt like it was a little exploitive. It's yeah. hard to make a show like it. that. It's hard to make a show like that and not add a little production value. I mean, because if you like, I do interventions for a living, and if you came in and filmed what I did, you'd be like, eh, you know, that was cool. Yeah, he went to he cried a little bit. And he went to treatment. That was really <laughs> nice. You know what I mean? And uh, but there was no action. <laughs> you know, like we didn't do action shots. I mean, if without that, without yeah. that initial documentary it's, section, it's just, it's, 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 it's just a family meeting in a hotel room or someone's living room or, you know, whatever it is. I always wanted to just fucking like fast forward through that shit. I was just like, oh, cause they always I mean, say the same thing. You know what I mean? They read a letter like your use is affecting me. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Do they go to treatment or not? You know what I mean? Anyone who like, and then they get it. And then all of a sudden they're like, and they relapsed and now that we don't know where they are. And I'm like, oh, awesome. You know what mm. I mean? But it's like it's like watching a movie with a bad guy's no, you're like, why'd you show me this? I don't understand. That's awesome. I know a friend who's an interventionist too. Yeah. And it's like his stories are Well that I mean, that's why I was asking, like, did your did did your book, did your recovery bring you into the field? I mean, that's what brought me into the field was, you know, being in recovery myself and then knowing that, you know, I do all family work now and, and knowing that my family didn't have a me to help walk them through what I was doing to them. And so it became like my passion, my 
my purpose, like you were saying earlier. And well, um, I love um, it. I mean, you know, my father's been like, you'd be a great counselor. You would da da da. I mean, I have sponsees. You know, I, you know, here in California, it's very, there are a lot of rehabs. And Rehab Riviera, right? Yeah. And <laughs> so I've also seen a lot of the corruption that goes on. And I've seen also a lot of the burnout of people mm. that work in it. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think I want to go in that direction. Not that I couldn't be helpful, mm -hmm. but I think that um, for me, what's I need to be creative. Yeah. And I think that the way I help people is through humor and my writing and, you know, that kind of stuff. And everyone wants a second book. They want to find out what happened after the first book and blah, 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 blah. So it's like, yeah, I just know too many people that work in the, biz in the, in the business and it's so gnarly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, is now is the, you said you're an ex comic. I don't know. I don't know. Like I yeah. said, how you can be st stop being funny because you're not, you haven't stopped being funny, <laughs> but how, uh, what's but that? I look like Vince Neil on Skype. That's the real. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw, I saw one and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> Vince Neil in concert. Fuck. No wonder I'm not getting any dates. <laughs> It's just not Jew friendly. I don't know what to say, man. It's not. Like so it's what's not. That, is that industry? Does that industry have a lot of uh, uh, that industry has a lot of substance abuse, right? I mean, are there is there like a uh, the comic comic industry? Oh God, yeah. That's another, there, reason I, that's another reason that I I bailed. For, I was sober when I did my stand up. I was sober the entire time. Were you was, okay? Yeah. At the very beginning when I started, I had got a shoulder injury and I was prescribed oxycotton and then fucking forget it. You know, I put well, a couple times on Oxy and it was like really bad. It's different, and I'm sure. Spiraled out on the Oxy. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of addiction within, you know, I mean, look at there's there's so much suicide, there's so much depression, there's so much sex addiction, mm -hmm. there's a lot of alcoholism, there's a lot of weed. <coughs> a lot of, I didn't see a lot of Coke and like, that's like 80s comics, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, maybe it was around, but I was sober and married during that whole period. But I also I didn't want to hang out at a at a comedy sh at a comedy club at you know one in the morning while everyone's drinking when I'm trying to get sober again. Mm -hmm. Well, I just mean in recovery too. Like that's one of the gifts that I see a lot of people, a lot of comics who've gotten sober. Uh, you know, they go around to programs, they go to events and functions, and they they do their they do stand up for you know. Yeah, no, I did. I toured. I did. I oh, did, did? sober. Okay. I did a sober tour and all that kind of stuff. Nice. Whatever. Yeah, it's like, but. Now I'm just, I don't know. I don't, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> I, just don't, I mean, I just am. I'm just kind of over it now. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just done with it, you know. Well, but. So now Maureen and I always ask this question and, um, you know, I guess the, the, the big question would be um, if you could change one thing, right? Uh, the way that things are, are handled, the way that they're dealt with, if you could just change one thing, even a small thing um, to try to, uh, uh, reduce the collateral damage that substance use has addiction uh oh, has <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I, mean, I was gonna punch you right through the <laughs> uh the, reduce the impact that addiction has on communities individuals families like what, what, what would it be uh, in the context of today's conversation like what, what would you free treatment i think we need free treatment free treatment yeah. interesting all right what do you mean yeah. by treatment though because that's a Kind of open. I think we need free rehab and free detox that's available mm -hmm. when you want to get in. Mm -hmm. I know too many people who 
first of all, the insurance game, like I know too many people who are abusing the insurance game and are doing patient brokering and are, right. are getting kickbacks from things with, you know, because if you have PPO and blah, blah, I've had too many friends call me who want to get into treatment and don't have the right insurance. And mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And a lot of places won't scholarship. I know someone whose son died waiting for a bed that he had paid for already. Wow. So um, I think there needs to be free detox and free treatment and enough that's available. So when you're ready, when you have that window where you're right. like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. Bam, you're in. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it'd be government I, subsidized, right? I mean, you know, yeah. About? And I also okay. feel like, I feel like the treatment industry treats everyone the same. I would like to see more individualized treatment. I'd like, you know what I mean? You know, I think I've seen places that over medicate people and treat everyone like a psych patient. I've seen people who just basically, it's basically a very expensive, you know, place you, you eat and are taking AA meetings. Yeah, there's a couple of those in uh, California. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would like to see more individualized treatment. Like, you know, what really is your psychiatric profile? You know, and I have a friend like who's doing genetic testing, which would absolutely totally change mm -hmm. addiction treatment. Yeah. You know, do you have the genetic mutation that prevents you from creating enough, you know, dopamine from da da da? You know, do, do you need these kind of medications? Mm. Like they put every motherfucker on Suboxone. You know what I mean? Maybe not everyone. Need, you know what I mean? So it's like, do you have trauma? Let's put you in trauma therapy. Do you have, you know, like that kind of stuff? It's mm. not individualized. We're all in the same groups. All of us. Right. We're all in relapse prevention. We're all in sex addiction. We're all in art therapy. We're all in, you know, whatever. And it's like, there are people that have, you know, completely different issues. So that's what I would like to see. Mm. I think that'd be nice, huh? Take the yeah, insurance right? companies out of the decision-making role uh, around what people should and shouldn't get for treatment. Yeah. I mean, but again, it's there. been, it's, it's both ways. The rehab business has also abused the insurance you mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, by, you know, overcharging for urine analysis, you know, oh, yeah. uh, charging for suboxone implants they're not putting in, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, flying people from Kentucky to California, putting them under an insurance company. And as soon as the, uh, the, 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 the policy runs out, kicking them out on the street, there's a huge mm. bunch of people in Costa Mesa who are just all kids that were flown out and then kicked out when they're, and it's like, wow. you know, Yep. That's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. So I think it's, I mean, you know. Needs an overhaul. That's what it needs. Yeah. I yeah. Set the reboot button. <laughs> I'm not saying rehab's the answer because, you know, I relapsed in rehab and I got sober really in the rooms mm -hmm. and in, in sober living. Mm -hmm. So, but I think. I would say that's where the magic happens for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I agree. Post-treatment in sober living, like in the community, getting well, learning how to live life. I mean, that's, yeah, that's I think you can't well. just like hold someone for 30 or 60 or 90 days and then just release them into the world and right. then expect them to, you well, know what I mean? We, that's what insurance companies need to fund. If they want to stop paying for people to cycle through 30, yes. 60 days of treatment, they need to exactly. fund that aftercare part fully. Which is fully. Yeah, I agree. Fully, yeah. Right to the end. Aftercare and sober living. You can't, you know what I mean? Like fully, yeah. fully, fully being supported by that. Mm -hmm. Right. Because 30 days is just not, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. 90 days. Not, I was in treatment this last time for seven months. And mm -hmm. then relapsed, drank mm -hmm. in the program, drank in the sober living that was connected to the rehab. Wow. Yeah. No, well, he, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I agree with you. You know how I feel about this. It's, it's all what happens yeah. afterwards. Right. But I, I mean, again, like genetic testing, 
that would really show like the brain chemistry of people because if we really think it's a brain disease then like let's address that mm. you know, if you have depression let's address that the different elements yeah that the per <laughs> a personalized individualized yeah, that uh, i don't i don't see that i don't no, really because we keep trying to put a band-aid on it right yeah, and it's not a one size fit all kind of thing. Right. You know well, what I mean? that's what people are looking for. People are looking yeah. for the yeah, answer. People are looking for the it's solution. Easy. Yeah, one one way to do it. Just let's just cookie cutter. Let's pop up all these places. But I don't think it's like that. I don't yeah. think that's you know. It's not definitely working. not. It definitely not, isn't working. Yeah, not in the melting pot of the United States where we don't yeah. have just like one group of people like this. We we have but everybody here. Yeah, I mean, it's just like you know. I mean, I think that the focus on the opiate addiction is also a little bit a little bit of a mistake because there are plenty of people who are dying of alcoholism. There are plenty of, I know plenty of people who are abusing methamphetamine. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people having heart attacks from cocaine. Fentanyl is now in everything. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's not. And it's like, there are also, uh, yes. Did they lie about Oxycontin and how addictive it was and push it and like write phony papers and blow all that? Absolutely. But are there people that can take painkillers and not get addicted? Yeah, there are. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, ad addiction addicts are really what? What percent of the population? Five, no. ten? Yeah, not not even. Ten. You know what I mean? So it's like there are people who break a hip and can take oxy and then throw the bottle away. Mm -hmm. The problem's not in the drug. The problem is in our in us. Mm -hmm. Right. The yeah. demand. Why we need it. You know, I mean, I agree. It's not an opioid epidemic. It's an no. overdose epidemic. Yes, and people absolutely. are dying yeah. at a ridiculous rate. Uh, al alcohol kills more. Uh, there are more alcohol related deaths annually than all other drugs combined. There you, you go. Know? And then, you know, cigarettes okay. kills more people yeah, annually totally than legal. alcohol totally and legal. drugs. That's something combined. I struggle with. That's something I struggle with in sobriety. And I see a lot of people struggle with that in sobriety. Quitting smoking? Totally. Yeah, it took me took me four years of sobriety before I put down cigarettes, and it was it was harder than heroin. It was because, harder than heroin. You know, it's subtler, and you're like, you're not going to get you you know, you're going to get put in jail for smoking a cigarette. Right. The guy you at Seven Eleven thanked me and asked me to come back. Was, Thank <laughs> you. I'll see you tomorrow, and I was like, Yeah, you will. <laughs> you know, you know, I'll be back. <laughs> he was so nice about it too. Yeah. I think that's a big problem, and I think obviously, you know, another thing that's to me is obvious is. You know, people who are caught with drugs, I, some people get sober in jail. I don't think, I don't think being incarcerated is treatment. Mm -mm. I agree. So, I mean, go after the big kingpins and put them in prison. Mm -hmm. But people that are in jail for having a little bit of coke on them or, or they're only just like, you know what I mean? For their own use, like putting them in, putting them in jail, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, for me, my court thing, wasn't even a drug thing and it did work to flip me mm -hmm. but i don't i know you know like more drug court more rehab more of that more corrections within the department of corrections yeah <laughs> well I mean, let's face know. it there, there's drugs in prison too of so course there that's is. Yeah, totally not the answer I, you know i know that there i know that there uh, there's a couple places that just uh fought to to get like methadone and suboxone in jail and i mean why don't, don't they try to get, they should be trying to get Vivitrol in jail and then nobody I agree, would uh, it doesn't have a resale value. They just there uh, was something out in California that uh, there were like uh, eleven thousand uh, I mean eleven hundred deaths or something like that or at least a thousand deaths overdose deaths in California prisons. 
this year Jesus. or last yeah. year. That just shows you it's not working. It's just I, not working. Right? Like, they're overdosing they, in jail. <laughs> so the drugs are already there. Well, I mean, where would you, if you were in jail, wouldn't you want to get high? Like, fucking oh hell. I did get high in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got very high in jail. jail. Yeah. It's like they put me in a psych ward when I was depressed. Like, there's nothing more depressing than a psych ward. Hello. <laughs> that is a good point. <laughs> you like, you seem depressed. Help. Have you been outside? Yeah, it's depressing in here. This is this sucks. <laughs> Let's put you in a green gown and with people that think they're Thomas Jefferson. If you, <laughs> <laughs> you seem stressed <laughs> today. Soon. Yeah. You know what I mean. I love it. Oh God! Well, it sounds like there's. Uh, it, we could definitely change a lot. The system is definitely. Uh, uh, it's fractured. It's. It's probably even a little bit broken. I know there's a lot of people out there trying to do the best they can, and you know, unfortunately, we are pushing up against decades and decades of you know maybe maybe not seeing it the right way or addressing it correctly. And hopefully, you know, whether it's this overdose epidemic or whether it's people like you and books like the one you wrote, just talking about this for what it is, maybe maybe collectively we can figure out a better way to come at this. And yeah, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of great ideas out there. Yeah, that was the whole thing was like, you know, here I was this rich girl from Beverly Hills who lost everything and everything that I thought would never happen to someone like me mm. happened to me. You mm. know what I mean? I, someone wrote to me and they're like, no one's gonna, everyone's gonna resent the shit out of you because you came from money. And I was like, oh my girl, addiction doesn't discriminate. And the people that I've seen die out here are the really rich kids because there's no bottom because they just, their parents keep just money, 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 bailing them out, bailing them out, bailing them out. And you know, they never have to really, like what changed me was I had to grow up and learn how to be self-supporting. And mm -hmm. everyone was over my shit. There was no more money. And everyone was like, we're done, dude. We're done with you. It's 20 years of this shit. You're right. on your own. And <laughs> I was like, enough. oh shit, you know? But it was like, you know, I think that addiction doesn't discriminate. It could all happen to, you know, to, to anyone, you know? It's not a problem about them. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. our problem. Yeah. Everyone. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what race, what gender, what, you know, what, uh, you know, your financial situation is. None of that matters. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why, I mean, that's why, that's why Maureen and I are doing this podcast. That's why it's called collateral damage. Cause I mean, it's not just happening to the individuals. It's happening to everybody. It's happening yeah. to us as a country. It's happening to our families. It's happening to our schools. It's happening in our jails. It's happening everywhere, and everyone's affected. And it's getting younger and younger. It's really kind of frightening. It is yeah. terrifying. I mean, I'd be scared to go out now with all the fentanyl. I'd be really frightened. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it just took me too long to put my life back together. It just. I think that's happen. what I think that's what happens. I know that's what my daughter tells me is that she's got too much to lose now. But Same. it takes yeah. so it takes so long to get to that point. It does oh, take. Yeah. I mean, it does. Yeah. Well, it takes, yeah. When you're thirty, yeah. It takes all of us a long time to get to that point, but when you're starting at 30 or 35 before you can, or whatever age you are, and you're looking and seeing, you know, all the people you knew are already there and you are just starting, it's very discouraging, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a woman, I spoke at a meeting and a woman came up to me and she just said, she had like 14 years sober and had relapsed and was doing crystal mm -hmm. and hotels. Mm -hmm. And she just came up to me and she was crying. She said, I just feel like it's too late. And I said, that's bullshit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I said, that is absolutely bullshit. It's never too late. And you can't compare your journey to anyone else's. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just like, yeah, but it's like, you know, that's the whole thing. You build a life that's just, I mean, when I wanted to use, when my ex left me, I just, you know, my sponsor just said, honey, he's not at the bottom of a bottle mm. or the end of a needle. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> but that's where I thought he was. I was like, yeah. I was like ah, yeah. you know, hoping, but yeah. like, you know, 
learning that I could withstand urges and not cave into them and, you know, that I could survive them, learning that I could survive really, really, really crushing, horrible feelings that felt like they were going to kill me and not, and that they would pass. And they that's would empower. <clears throat> that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. And that's the thing that people who, who don't use drugs, who don't go to drugs, learn that you know what i mean as we get older yeah. we learn those things but when you're yeah. when you're covering it up with the drugs from the time from an yeah. early time you don't look you don't so it's very hard to yeah. explain that to somebody who's 25 and thinks that every single horrible thing is the end of the world totally. because they haven't been through that up and down yeah and and seen the other side of it you know Absolutely. and and once i think you do it it's it helps it helps Absolutely. but if you haven't been through it yourself reading a book like this is um definitely that i think that helps because looking at somebody else's experience is um it's like i keep saying too you're just so out there and so blunt and so honest in this book and i just absolutely love it i really do i mean that's been i don't i'm not quite ready to thank my daughter yet for all this <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean but i have gotten to know some of the most unbelievable people and you are definitely at the top of the list thank you well it was so awesome to see you in boston i always felt immediately connected to you yeah, yeah. my dad is my dad's just like i'm really proud of you and you know i talk about you and you've given me purpose but i remember he went to an al-anon meeting i remember when i was using and he went to an al-anon meeting and i called him and tried to manipulate him and he <laughs> just said you know you used to be able to ruin my life and now you can't ruin my lunch and i oh. was like Wow. <laughs> I, I, I knew I'd lost the fucking reins. You know what I mean? I love that. That is good. Over, and I was like, fuck. And, like, yeah. and now I guess they say it up in Oregon, but he was just, you know, he just, uh, he just said, you've given, you know, you're, you, you have a purpose and I, you're my hero. He's like, wow. you're my fucking hero. And I, love that. I am so proud of you. And you, you did something that I haven't done in 30 years of writing. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you've changed people's lives. Mm. He said, and you, you've, you've, there's, you know, you've helped people and there's no higher calling than helping other people. He's like, I have, he just has a lot of respect for me. I don't see it that way. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, yeah. it's like, yay, I got myself out of the burning <laughs> building. Like, woo, you know what I mean? I stopped lighting myself on fire. Yay. Right. Applaud for me. But it's like, it is hard. Mm -hmm. It is hard. Getting sober is hard and it's uncomfortable. And well, it sharing the story is hard for a lot of people and listening to the story is hard for a lot of the people. And that's why, you know, you are so brave for putting that on paper and for putting it out there for people to, you know, provide feedback on and to, to have an experience with good, bad or otherwise, but to put it out there. That's, that's brave. Yeah. I All don't right. care. The people, the right people fucking connect to it and the people who don't like it, that's cool. There are other books. You know what I mean? Like, this is right. my story and whatever. Well, if they don't like it, they already bought it. So what, what does it matter? Yeah, right. I already got your money. <laughs> yeah. You read it, you didn't like it. It's too bad. I already, I already, you already paid me. <laughs> Keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Amy. I really appreciate you doing this. And uh, <clears throat> it's always great to talk to you. And you always make me laugh. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I was been looking forward to this. And I'm really I'm so sorry about earlier, too. I mean, it was really it was fun. fun. <laughs> We were just talking to each other. It wasn't that yeah. exciting. I know, no offense. But I was like, oh, fuck. It's so me. It was like, it's just so. <laughs> just popped right in. What's going on, guys? What are you doing? I don't know. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I spoke at a meeting and the secretary was like, oh, thank you for coming. And I go, you have something on your nose. And I tried to wipe it. And I was like, you I picked your nose? Something. It was a mole. Oh, no. <laughs> 
Oh, you tried to pick our mole? <laughs> yeah, I, was like, I was like, I thought it was ink. I, thought, I was like trying to be a good friend. I was like, and she goes, that's a mole. And I was like, I want to die right now. I want to die. Oh. So oh, that's, that's like, you know, I'm used to doing stupid things like that. I'm very, I love Lucy. It's fine. Oh, that's God. great. That is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, unlike Maureen, I didn't know you up until today. And it was really nice to meet you. And I'm super hey, grateful that you came I on. I hope you read the book and love it. Well, I'm going to now. He's got to get his own because mine's signed. Get, and, she, she's and not going to I'm not partnering with her. her. That's yeah, for I know. her. I, I won't know. even I, share it with my daughter. Everybody <laughs> needs to get their own book. This is well, my book. I have it and... up right here on Amazon, <laughs> which is where it's available to everybody, right? They there can get go. this on Amazon. <laughs> uh, where else can they get it? They can get it at Kobo. I think it's on Target online. It's at Barnes Noble online. Okay. Uh, there's Audible. There's Kindle. There's the paperback came out. Um, Love it. Of 2018, the original hardback came out in 2017. Um, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So I'll make sure that all of our, our listeners have um, access to the links. Um, yeah, and follow me. Page. Follow me on Instagram, yeah. uh, Amy Dresner. Follow me on Twitter, Amy Dresner. Amy Dresner on Facebook. My website's amydresner.com, D-R-E-S-N-E-R. And, you know, that's where I'm going to put all, I'm going to put your stuff, this, and mm-hmm. I put like, you know, everything that's going on. Okay. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure we share the same links on our, our podcast and we'll so make sure much. that people know exactly where to find you and all the stuff that you do. Thank you, guys. Thank right, you. Thank love you. you. Love you, honey. I love you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. <laughs> all right. Well, that was fun. That was, uh, that was, that was uh, actually quite fun. Amy's for, for an ex-stand-up comic, she still brings it to the table. Uh, and that was, uh, that was an interesting conversation. Yeah, she really would. Such a not funny topic, I know, but right. Uh, she is so funny. So and I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to hit the uh, explicit button on this uh, podcast. Yeah, so you're if right. you're listening, welcome. You made it to the the PG-13 version of Collateral Damage. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it though. I lo- you got to be raw sometimes. I mean, I, to her point, like we were we were talking about, um, you know, the the word addict. Right. Uh, and that for people like Amy and myself, it's like it's like the it's our it's our N word. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. we when we talk about that, when we talk about our life and our addiction and our experiences, you know, we share those together because it's <coughs> identify. Yeah. And I, then, I, yeah, that was a good conversation, actually. It really yep. was. Well, yeah. and it's it is an explicit experience <laughs> you know i mean if we water it down too much and we don't talk about it for what it is then it's not quite as scary it's not quite as significant but what we went through and what she went through it's it's traumatic stuff yeah. you know so i'm glad she I'm, I'm happy as another person in recovery to hear her share her story so openly so bravely um, with everybody yeah she really is very brave mm-hmm. she is very mm-hmm. brave and I just, uh, I appreciated her coming on, but I just, I just like her so much, mm-hmm. you know, She's just a good person. Well, you and I were talking last night about, um, you know, the, uh, how, how scary it is to put yourself out there, you know, to, to, to write a book or to share your experience and like what, what you're going to get back. And, you know, I mean, it's obviously being, you know, being a comedian, a comedian first and having that experience and being okay, standing up in front of however yeah. many people. Uh, you know, what was, uh, it already existed, but, you know, I just know putting that personal stuff out there, you know, putting the, the truth about who you are and your situation and just Absolutely. leaving that up for discussion or debate. Like when anyone does that, I'm super, super amazed and proud. And, um, you know, it's scary because I, you know, like the three of us wrote very personal books. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, 
that fear of, of, of somebody picking you apart. Obviously the fear is, you know, you get over it because otherwise you wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's also the fear of them picking apart your, your work and something you poured so much time into. So you're really exposed when you, when you tell your own story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's art, you know, you, you write this thing, you create this piece of art and you put it out there and then you've got to wait and see what people think about it (laughs) or not care about it. Like Amy said, you know, I don't even read that stuff. It's, you know, I, I get personally, uh, I get, I get hit with a one-star review on Amazon for my book. I mean, who wouldn't, you know, I would get, I would get stung by somebody's opinion about my lifestyle or my addiction or my recovery. Who wouldn't, but it is brave to put it out there. I remember when the, um, the New York times reviewed my book mm-hmm. and I knew that they were going to do it, but I didn't know when it was going to come out. So I, I, you know, saw it on, on Sunday morning, like everybody else. And I kept asking people, do they ever really say, my God, this is a piece of crap. <laughs> because I thought, how bad would it be to like have anybody say that? But to have the New York Times say that um, would be, you know, really like you'd, the height of being insulted. <laughs> yeah, that's that's worse than your random anonymous review. Oh, no, it would know. be it would be true. It would have to be true. If they said it, right? <laughs> Well, why else would they put it out there? I mean, that's... Oh, my God. They're like, no, the New York Times doesn't bother doing that to people that wrote their first book. They're not out to get you. <laughs> right. This was trash. What? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that's awesome. So, well, I'm glad we had her, I'm glad we had her on, and I can't wait to see what she's going to do next. I'm sure there's something up her sleeve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you, you do something like this, it starts it starts getting the juices flowing. You start thinking about how else you can, you know, affect the situation or affect change. Yeah. Um, you know, use your voice to help other people. And uh, you know, as she was saying, this this book uh, by putting it out there, she's had people contact her and say, you know, you told a version of my story. You helped me get out right. of myself and 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 led me into treatment. Which is, I mean, when you write a book and you hear that that's an experience that somebody had, it's like wow. It's amazing. It is amazing, right? I mean, you've had that experience. I've had that experience. Yeah, you you awesome. put yourself out there and somebody reads it and they're like, man, you told my story. You know, you 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 had me hear it in a way I haven't heard it before yeah. and uh, gave me a reason to do something about it. And I have a lot of um, young people that read it and see, see themselves in it and then right. give it to their mothers. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as a way of saying, I, I get what I, mm-hmm. I get, what I put you through. And, and vice versa, you know, parents that read it and, and give it to their, their children. And then their children get to see a little bit of what it was like for their parents to go through this. You mm-hmm. know, I don't think this is also, I mean, and that goes for, you know, it goes for everybody. It's not just the children that need to see what the parents go through. I think parents really don't sometimes don't fully understand how awful this is for our children either. So, I mean, nobody's having any fun, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I see that one all the time with the parents that are like, you know, I don't know why they won't just pull themselves together. I'm like, well, you know, I mean, you telling them not to have symptoms of addiction is kind of like having somebody that has the flu in your house and like, you need to stop coughing and sneezing now, you know, without treatment or anything. You just have to stop having symptoms and knock it off. Yeah. Cut it out. <laughs> I thought I said no puking in my house. <laughs> you know, it's like you you can't, you, yeah. you can't expect them to pull it together if you don't understand what's wrong with them. And I get the opposite of what you get is that I get a lot of parents who read my book and then give it to their kids. <laughs> you know, so it's the opposite of the young people giving it to their parents. Yeah. And, uh, but regardless, you know, books like Amy's, uh, you know, they expose the other side of this that I think a lot of people don't want to talk about that, 
you know, when you're out there trying to survive as a, an individual struggling with substance abuse or an addict, whatever you want to call yourself, when you're out there going through it, we have to do some pretty bad stuff. You know, we have to go through some pretty dark experiences and they imprint on us. You know, that's whether it's the trauma or, you know, it changes the way we think or we feel uh, they adjust our core beliefs. It's hard to come back from that sometimes, like we've talked about in previous podcasts, it's like coming back from war, <laughs> you know, and we come back from this and, and writing a book like this is cathartic. You know, giving, putting it on paper and, and putting it out there for people to read um, oftentimes helps us close that, that chapter of our life. Yeah. And, you know? and knowing that those experiences weren't just pain. Because you were able to transform them into something that helps somebody else. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Good yeah, stuff. It's a, it is good stuff. So for those of you that are watching, you're going to see my special, my friend over here, Caesar, my lizard. His <laughs> tank is broken. And some of you see the, the, the flashing red light and stuff like that. That's because I'm a bad uh, uh, um, caretaker for my lizard and, and there's a broken light that I haven't fixed. So in all of these podcasts, if you're watching it, you get to see that I'm not taking care of my little, uh, my little pet over here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it until just now because the lights are like, it's like a strobe light. It's like a, a club in there for him. It's like a, a, yeah, it's like a dance club. Disco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. All right. Well, hopefully uh, we're going to put all of Amy's information in this podcast. Hopefully, you know, maybe someday we'll get to hear from her again about where she's, where she's gotten to uh, down the line. But for right now, we're going to make sure you have access to her book. Um, and I know she's doing a whole bunch of other podcasts as well. So if you like listening to Amy, um, I know she posts a lot of that stuff on Facebook and you'd have access to it there. Uh, yeah. so we'll put everything that we need up on Facebook. A lot of the information is on amydresner.com. Um, but if you'd like the links, uh, look up into our Facebook posts and I'm sure they'll be there. <laughs> um, and that's it. <laughs> All right. I would like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode of Collateral Damage. As always, if you'd like to find out all of the different ways that you can listen to and subscribe to our podcast, you can visit our website, which is www.cdpodcast.com. There are many different ways to listen, download, and subscribe, so we encourage you to choose the one that is most appropriate for you. And as always, we would encourage our listeners to get informed and stay connected. Thank you for joining us.